I don't know how your guys' summer is going, but mine seems to be the summer of things breaking. Um, if you know me very well, you know that one of the things I hate the most is when something breaks or when something doesn't work the way that it's supposed to. And this summer, we've had car problems. You take the car in, and it's fixed, and then you go pick up the car, and you start to drive it away, and it's still broken. And it was $500, and it's like, wait, I paid $500 for a car to still be broken? That doesn't seem quite fair. We've never had a situation like this at our house, but the plumbing backed up into the basement, and so we had to um, get everything out of the storage room, clean everything up, then, put every, then get a plumber to come in, snake the drain, put everything back in, and then a couple days later it does it again. And then it's just, you know, it's like one thing after another after another. And then, you know, my cell phone, you know, we are so reliant on our cell phones now, and my cell phone just totally dies. Got to get a new cell phone. And it's just, it seemed like one thing after another after another. Then, you know, and again, I kind of feel like it's first world problems that I'm talking about, but then I'm sitting by our pool. It's a beautiful, nice place to sit, and then chair rips through. And it's just, it's like one thing after another, right? And it's not even just things that cost money that get annoying because you feel like you're getting nickeled and dimed by $100 bills. But eventually, it becomes even the small things that are annoying. Like I went and got an oil change in our car, came home, and went inside, came back out, and like oil was just dumped out all over our garage. So then you got to take the car back in, re-oil change to take it, and clean everything up. It just, again, it was just one thing after another. And Bob actually reached out to me a couple weeks ago and said, man, how are you doing? And I said, I'll be honest with you, man, I, I am really just getting frustrated. I, I don't feel like I have the thankful heart. I feel like I'm just kind of mad. And it's just, you know, I, so I started thinking about that and just how much we have, how blessed we are, and yet how... Um, much we complain, how much we um, grumble. And maybe you're not like me in that, but I know that that's totally where my heart goes, is to frustration, it's to being um, grumbly and complaining about every little thing. And so today, actually, what we're going to talk about is thankfulness. And we've been kind of in this series that we've been calling Summer School, and we've had different uh, people, different teachers, different topics, but I think that there's kind of been a common theme throughout. And really the common theme came up a couple, probably just over a month ago, Josh Baker preached, and he preached about anxiety. And in the message of anxiety, he said that he thinks that anxiety is the silent plague of the church. And that, that sentence has just kind of resonated with me, and I kept thinking about the silent plague of the church, and I kept thinking of all these different things that really plague us as believers, and anxiety can be one of them. And so we continued on in this series, and again, it's summer school, but there's been this kind of silent plague as like the backdrop of it, and so we talked about shame and how often shame is like a this silent plague in the church. And then we talked about um, two weeks ago, Chris Collins preached, and he talked about really like what is the purpose of life? Who are we? And why are we here? And really he talked about that the, the purpose of life is to glorify God and to abide in him. And really, if you kind of take a step back from his sermon, in a way, I think what he kind of said is there's a silent plague in the church that there's a lack of abiding in Christ. And so, so far we've talked about anxiety, we've shame, talked about a lack of abiding, and, and Chris gave this great challenge that every morning what we should do is we should start the day with reorienting our mind to God. And it was just this great reminder. And then if you were here last week, we talked about freedom. We talked about that true freedom comes from Christ. It doesn't come from anything else. True freedom comes from Christ, and it frees us from everything that we cannot be freed from. It frees us from sin. It frees us from death. And um, last week, I think in a roundabout way, what we said is a silent plague in the church is that we as believers 
look for freedom in all the wrong things. And today we're going to pick it up and we're going to say that I believe a silent plague in the church is a lack of thankfulness. So I started thinking about this, and, and be, again, this message is mostly for me. I think you guys will connect with it as well, but this was, it really is where I've been in struggle, and what I think the message has been is just a reminder to me, and my hope is it, it kind of transposes to be the same for you, but I looked up thankfulness in the dictionary. It's a feeling or expression of appreciation or gratitude. It's... Um, the conscious benefit, a conscious of benefit received or that you're about to receive. And so this week, that's what we're going to talk about. If you have a Bible, you can flip open to Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. And we're going to try to keep it simple. We're going to have three points that we talk about. And really, the question I'm going to ask is, what would it look like if we were to be a people marked by thankfulness? What would it look like in my life if I'm a person marked by thankfulness? Luke chapter 17 verse 11 through 19. This is what the the Bible says. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went... They were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell at his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Literally, the translation, your faith has saved you. Let's pray. Father God, your word says that it is sharper than a double-edged sword. So God, I pray that you would use your word to penetrate. Your word says that it's used to teach, rebuke, correct, and train in righteousness. I pray that you would do that in our hearts. God, I know that I myself need your word to penetrate me deeply. So I pray that you would do that. We again thank you so much for your word that gives us uh, so much. So we pray that you would uh, use it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we kind of have this pretty straightforward story here. It's Jesus is traveling. If you remember uh, a couple chapters back in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. So he has, he's on his path toward the cross. And so he's, he's traveling. He's not making a straight path. He's kind of weaving around. But as he goes, he's, he's headed toward Jerusalem. And he gets to the edge of this um, village between Samaria and Galilee. And he comes across ten lepers. Um, leprosy, we don't really talk much about because we don't really have to worry about it too much. But there are still some places that do. And throughout history, there's been huge, huge issues with leprosy. If you are a tech person and you have your phone, what I challenge you to do is, and you can do this while I'm talking, open up a Google search and type in leprosy. Feel free if you'd like to. Type in leprosy and do images. Leprosy is an awful disease. 
it can start with, um, it's like a chronic infection. It starts with skin lesions. And so a person just looks like there's these open sores all over their body. It eventually affects the nerves so that people don't feel pain. And often now that you don't feel pain, let's say you're trying to cook something and there's something over the fire and you reach in to get it, your hand doesn't tell you it's hot, so you just grab the hot skillet and you take it off. You don't realize how bad it has burned you. And so what can happen is over time, people with leprosy will, will have uh, disfiguring that happens. They'll lose fingers. There's also some aspect of it where it seems like it kind of fingers almost grow back into their hand, into the hand. It's, it's, uh, it's awful. Not only it, does it make the person look awful, but it also is highly contagious. So what happens is, is the person has these extreme in, injury, inner ink, right? These extreme injuries, it's hard to say. And they have, can have infections that go on. It goes unnoticed. And so they have all these open sores. They, they can become dismembered. And, it, and it's not just because of that that they're hard to look at that you don't want them in the village, but because it's so contagious, they can't be in the village. So here's what would happen if you were to find out that you had leprosy. You had to go to the priest. So um, Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 kind of spells this out. If you have some sort of skin issue in this day and age, even let's just say it's eczema. You've got some sort of skin issue that's happening. You have to go to the priest. And the priest has to determine whether you're clean or whether you're unclean, meaning that you have leprosy or you don't have leprosy. And so there's this process. It takes a little while, like seven, eight days. Then there's this repeat of process and all this. But if they say you have leprosy, you are unclean, then you are cast out of the village. So picture, you find out you have leprosy, you have to leave your home. Say you got a couple kids at home. You can't go give your kids a hug and a kiss and say, I got to move out. You have to go immediately. You can't give your wife a kiss goodbye, your, your husband a kiss goodbye. You, you're just banished out of the village. And there you stand. And, and, and Leviticus even draws it out further. What you're to do if you have leprosy, you're cast out of the village and you are to wear torn clothes. That way people can tell this is a person who's unclean. I need to stay away from them. You wear torn clothes. You wear your hair hanging loose. Not a problem for me. Um, but you have to cover your upper lip. And anytime someone's around you, you cover your upper lip and you just say unclean, 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 unclean. And people can't come near you. And really, in a lot of ways, I feel like it's like just a prison. You can't be close to the ones that you love. You can't touch them. You don't have human interaction except for people that are also in the same condition that you have of leprosy. And so there Jesus is. He sees these 10 people that are living a life like this. And they see Jesus coming by and they say, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And Jesus says to them, he says, go show yourself to the priest. And here's what's crazy. They just get up and they start to go. Like they display some aspect of faith in Jesus, right? So Jesus says, go, show yourself to the priest. And they get up and they begin to go. And it says, as they were going, they were cleansed. So I want to think about just like the, the visualization of what happens here. You're walking with 10 people who in some way, shape, or form have become dismembered, who have lesions over their arms and, and body, and then it kind of even does stuff over their faces if you looked at the Google images. And you're walking with 10 people, and it says they got cleansed. Like, I mean, just imagine like the sores just close up. Their fingers, in essence, grow back, and they become 
looking normal again. Like, it would be so mind-boggling, not only that God had done this in your life, but you had seen God do this in other people's lives. Like, this is, would be absolutely crazy. But then you start to think about the ramifications of this. I can go back into the village. I can be with my family. I can, I can hug my kids who I have missed. I can hold my child. I can, I can hold my spouse. I can, I can begin to work again. Like most of us hate work, but if you haven't worked for quite a while, you're probably really excited to get back to work. Unless you're a teacher, and right now you're just dreading that. But, but your life is ready to, to become normal again. So then in the text, we have one guy out of the 10. He comes back to Jesus. He praises God with a loud voice. He falls on his face and he gives him thanks. He is conscious of the benefit that he has just received. He comes back and he has a feeling of appreciation and gratitude. He comes back and he expresses his appreciation and his gratitude. And Jesus says, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? If I'm honest, I am so often in that nine. I was thinking about the nine and, and the, a lack of thankfulness, but oftentimes it can even be not just a lack of thankfulness, but it's, it's like, it's like a, a spirit of thanklessness. And I was thinking about through the Bible, you see this so often. I, the most notably probably after in the book of Exodus if you remember the book of Exodus, God's people are slaves. And then God rescues them out of slavery. They cross through the Red Sea, and there's so much that I could go into there. But they, they cross in the Red Sea, and now they're free, right? And so what should they do? Be super thankful. God, you have freed us. We're no longer subject to slavery. We don't have to make bricks anymore. We don't have to do all this. Like, this is so awesome. You are such a good, good God. But what do they do? Then, Like, right away. Uh, we want water. And man, that's so much my heart. God does something miraculous. I'm like, hey, wait, 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 what about my water? So they ask for water, and then the water's not sweet, so then they want sweet water. So then God gives them sweet water, and then they drink in the water, and they're like, you know, actually, we really want food too. And so then God gives them bread. And they're like, well, wait a second, God, we want some meat. So then God gives them quail. And throughout this whole process, it says that they um, are grumbling against Moses and Aaron. They're grumbling against God. And they even say, we had it good when we were in slavery. Did you just bring us out here to kill us? And how often do we have a spirit of thanklessness like that? Do we sound like spoiled kids to our God? Like I, I, if I'm honest, I can oftentimes treat God like a genie in the bottle. Like, I would like health. I would like this. I would like, you can, you can just, I don't want this to break. And we just, we treat God like that. And the Israelites do that. They're not content. They're grumbling. They're not conscious of the benefit they've received. God just saved them from slavery, and yet they're worried about a drink of water. And the more I was thinking through this, I was like, you know who that sounds like? That just sounds like me. What about you? Do you feel like you are a person that truly is a thankful person, or would you say that you struggle with that? I definitely have over the past month or so. And again, what would it look like if I were to be, what would it look like if we were to be a people marked by thankfulness? Three things I want to talk about. Number one, 
If we are to be a people who are marked by thankfulness, our eyes would be off of ourselves and off of our earthly circumstances. I mean, our earthly circumstances wouldn't control our thoughts. I want to think about these nine people, okay? So the nine guys, they don't turn back to go thank Jesus. They continue on their path. But why do they do that? And I think there's kind of two different reasons that it could be of why these nine don't turn back. The first one is this. If you become healed, you are cleansed, you do not have leprosy anymore. Here's the process according to the book of Leviticus. You go again to show yourself to the priest. So Jesus is saying, go show yourself to the priest. He's saying, go do what the Old Testament tells you. Go show yourself to the priest. If it appears that you are cleansed, you need to buy, I forget which animal it is, but you buy an animal for a sacrifice and you give this offering to God. That's step two. So one, present yourself to to the priest. Two, you make an offering. Step three is you wash all of your clothes, you shave off all of your hair, and you bathe. At this point in time, you are now allowed to enter camp, but you are not allowed to go into your home. You have to sleep outside. So now you, you camp out, in essence, next to your house for a period of seven days. At the end of that seventh day, if you still appear to be clean, now what you do is you again wash all of your clothes, again shave off all of your hair, just the stubble that has grown back in seven days. You bathe again, and at this point in time, you again go to the priest to present yourself. And on that eighth day, if you still have no signs, you are now deemed clean. I don't know about you, but if I had missed out on much of my life, if I'd had all these things going on in my life, I might just want to get back to life as normal. I think there's a strong possibility that the reason why the nine people didn't turn back to praise Jesus because they wanted to get back to their life. And how often is that me? I don't thank God because I just want to get on with my life. So there's another reason why I think that they wouldn't turn to go thank God, and maybe deep down inside they think, you know what? It wasn't fair that I had leprosy in the first place. It was your fault, God. I didn't deserve it. I've already missed out on too much of my life. Why would I turn around to go thank you? Why don't I just continue? And I think really what it comes down to is when you are not um, a person who's marked by thankfulness, your eyes are fixed upon yourself, and they're fixed upon your earthly circumstances. And I think that that's what's happening with these nine people. And if we want to be a people who are marked by thankfulness, I, can't, I don't think that we can have our, our eyes fixed upon ourselves. I don't think that we can have our eyes fixed upon our earthly circumstances. So the next thing that I would say is this is, okay, um, that's hard, right? But have you ever met someone who's, whose thankfulness is tied only to their circumstances? I'll tell you that I think that that's a struggle for me. But what happens when when circumstances turn awful? What happens when there's a a diagnosis that doesn't sound good? What happens? It It may not even be that serious. Maybe it's just your phone breaks. Your basement backs up. And if you're if your thankfulness is tied to the circumstances, you're going to have a huge problem. And that's what God has been revealing to me over the past month, is when, you're, when your thankfulness is tied to your circumstances, you're in trouble because we live in a fallen world. It's, everything is going to pot. But I don't think our thankfulness can be tied to circumstances. I, want to think, I was thinking about Paul. 
in the Bible. And Paul, in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lists out things that he's experienced. He says he's labored, he's been imprisoned, even in solitary confinement we find in Acts. He was beaten countless times, he was often near death, he was flogged, he was beaten with rods, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was lost at sea, he experienced danger from rivers, robbers, his own people, Gentiles, he had danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, he had danger from false brothers. He experienced hardships, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst. He was without food, without shelter. He was cold. He was under constant pressure and had anxiety for the church, and yet he was thankful. I get hungry after not eating for three hours, and I am a jerk. I used to ask my wife. Paul was bit by a poisonous snake in Acts chapter 28. If I see a snake, I'm not very happy. He had a thorn in his side. He had bad eyesight, you see throughout Scripture, and yet he was thankful. I don't think that our thankfulness can be tied to our circumstances. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. In Colossians 3.16, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, thanksgiving, thankfulness excuse me, in our heart to God. Ephesians 5.20, give thanks for everything. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. Other places, he says, that we should always be thankful, constantly, continually, without ceasing, give thanks to God. If we are to be a person who's marked by thankfulness, our eyes cannot be on ourselves and on our earthly circumstances. What else would it look like for, if we were to be a people who were marked with thankfulness? Number two, our eyes wouldn't be like on ourself, like I said, so where would our eyes be? Our eyes would be fixed on him and his mercy. If you remember at the beginning of this chapter, as they call out to Jesus, what do they say? They say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I've talked about this before, but I think a good working definition of grace and a working definition of, of mercy are this. Grace is is um, getting what you don't deserve. So let's say you're bad all year, and on Christmas you still get gifts. You experienced grace because you were a horrible child who shouldn't get gifts, and yet your parents are gracious, and they give you gifts. Like, that's grace. Mercy is when you don't get something that you deserve. What's interesting is the 10 of them said, have mercy on us. So what are they saying? They're saying, we deserve this. But they don't have their eyes fixed upon themselves. They have their eyes fixed on Jesus. The one does, and he sees mercy. He orients his mind to Christ. But I think there's something deeper than this. I don't think that he's just overly happy about no longer having leprosy. I think that's the start of it. But I think it has to go deeper than that, because I don't think that this text is telling us to be happy if you're of your circumstance. I think what happens is, is his eyes are off of himself, his eyes are on Jesus, and he sees his mercy, and I think what he realizes, there was a bigger problem than my leprosy. See, the bigger problem than leprosy is spiritual leprosy. And how often are we people with a spiritual leprosy? A numbness of heart. 
We have thoughts and patterns in our life. Maybe we're, we're, we're starting down a path that we don't realize how dangerous it is. Remember the, the person with leprosy, they don't realize how dangerous it is for them to reach in and get that pot because they they've lost the, the feeling of pain. And how often it is when, when, when we are not uh, keeping our eyes fixed on him, we begin walking down a path of our life. We're making these choices, and, and what happens is, is we don't realize how dangerous the thoughts and the patterns are. I think what this guy realized, this one realized, is that he had a bigger problem than this leprosy. It was spiritual leprosy. You see, I think that there's a difference between being glad and gratitude. I think all 10 of them were super glad. Like, this is great. I don't have leprosy. And I think that we can think of thankfulness more like being glad. Like, yeah, God, I'm glad that the sun is out today. I'm glad that you've given me a place to live. I'm glad that You've given me a wife and children. And, but there's a difference between being glad and gratitude. And I think that all ten were glad, but only one had true gratitude. He had his eyes off of himself and his eyes fixed on Jesus and his mercy. And if we can't do that, then what are we going to do when the, the times of life get real difficult? See, I think this one guy saw his mercy, saw Jesus' steadfast love, saw his faithfulness. I was reminded of Lamentations 3, 22 23, the steadfast love of our Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I was thinking about Psalm 136. If you have a Bible, I'll flip open to, act to Psalm 136, and I would challenge you to read all of this the rest of the day. But I'm going to read the first couple verses. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. And it continues to go on. It is impossible to be a person who is thankful when our eyes are on ourselves and on our earthly circumstances. But if we're going to be a person marked by thankfulness, our eyes will be on him and we will see his steadfast love. I was thinking about this and as Sarah and I talked about what I was going to talk about, she reminded me of our friend Megan. Megan um, Nolan was her last name and Megan's um, had two kids and a husband, and she, one day, her husband's going off to a military training exercise, and later in that day, the, the, gets a knock at the door, and she goes and she opens the door, and it's two servicemen, fully dressed. And they come to say that her husband was killed in the military training exercise. So there this woman is, a widow, two young kids. You talk about a reason to not be thankful. You talk about a reason to be bitter, to be down, to be negative, to become sour, to be harsh. And she was there. She'd be the first to tell you she was there for a while. But what she started doing and is that every morning she would just try to praise God for the smallest things. Anything she could possibly give thanks for God, to God for. It could have been as simple as she walks up, she has a cup of coffee in her hand, like, God, thank you for coffee. It could be the simplest things, but she got in this habit 
of just thanking God for all the small things. And what she said is it absolutely transformed her. It led to this amazing freedom. But it was because her eyes weren't on herself. Her eyes weren't on her circumstances. Her eyes were put onto him and she saw his steadfast love. She saw his mercies that were new every morning. I would love to say that in my life, I'm like, oh, I just have been reading all this and I just, I'm just not going to put my eyes on myself and it would be all good. And then I'd love it if A plus B equals C, if it was this super easy thing, if you could just do this and it would be okay, but we know that that's not the case. But I really think that if we were to be a people marked by thankfulness, we'd keep our eyes off of ourselves, off of our earthly circumstances, put our eyes on him and his mercies. I think it starts with that same thing that Chris talked about a couple weeks ago, reorienting our minds to, to Christ. I think there's a third thing that will happen if we are to be a people who are marked by thanksgiving. We would be a light in the midst of darkness. Proverbs 17.22 says this, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Have you ever been, spent much time around somebody who really struggles with a, a, this always criticizing, that you, you've been around somebody who really isn't thankful about anything? Man, it's like dried bones in a room, isn't it? Proverbs 15.13, A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. Have you been around somebody who's just seems like they're just crushed. They're hard to be around. Proverbs 15, 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. I feel like over the past month, as I've entered the room at times, I have been an afflicted, crushed, dried bones person because I have the spirit of thanklessness. Rather than being thankful to God for all he has done and who he is, my eyes have been on my earthly circumstances. But if we are going to be a people marked by thankfulness, what would it look like? We would be a light in the dark world. Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Other translations will say without complaining or arguing. That you may become blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It's really easy to say, just don't think of yourself. Don't think of your earthly circumstances. Just look to God. And I'd love it if it was just that easy. But I think what begins to happen is as we begin to focus on who Jesus is, not just what he's done. Like, I don't think that this guy with leprosy, the one that turns around, I don't think that he's just like so glad that he doesn't have leprosy. There's something so much deeper than that that draws him to God. And when he, when he draws into God, he begins to see he's good like this. And then once you see he's good like this, then it opens your eyes to see how he's good like this and see how he's good like this. And you become basically, in a way, addicted to peeling back like the onion to see how good he really is. What I think happens is what Romans 12, 2 talks about. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I was thinking of Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. It says this, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your thankfulness and glorify your Father in heaven. If we were to be a people marked by thankfulness, we would be a light in this dark world. I think it starts with us 
seeing God as who he is, not just what he's done, but who he is, and beginning to be thankful for that, which will lead to being thankful for the next thing. To, to wrap up, as I was thinking through this, I was thinking that thankfulness is a matter of the heart and a direction of the thoughts. Um, I was thinking about this today, that when you drive, like, if you're distracted by something to the left, what will probably happen? You start to steer left. If you're distracted by something to the right, you start to steer to the right. And how often is that true with our thoughts? Like, we should take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Like, it talks about the, the, the road is narrow, the path is narrow, and we shouldn't swerve to the left or to the right. But I think what happens is when we start thinking um, critically, we start, we start being thankless, what happens is it takes us in a direction. Whereas when we really just bow down before the Lord and we begin to thank him for all the small things, what happens is it continues to take us down a path where we see how good he is in this small area, which leads us to seeing how, how good he is here and how good he is here and how good he is here. And I can say that um, I have been taken captive by a thankless spirit recently. And I really think that it is a plague that affects many of us in the church. And I think one of the reasons why the, why the non-believers don't, don't see something wonderful and beautiful and amazing when they look at the people of the church is because we often aren't a people marked by thankfulness. So my prayer is that just like this one that sees what Jesus has done, that we turn and we praise him and that as Matthew 5.16 said, that we let our light shine before men, that they may see your thankfulness and glorify your Father in heaven. I would love to say that I'm good at this, and I, I, it'd be a lie. But I don't think that we can just look at thankful for what God has done in our lives, like thank, thankful for a car, for a house, thankful for our health, thankful for this, because those things will go away has to be deeper than that. It has to be thankful for who he is. You can't be thankful for who he is unless you know him. Um, I would love to say that I had this great conclusion, and then like, but I really don't. Like, that's kind of it. But my hope and my prayer is that we would be, that I would be a person marked by thankfulness. We get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our earthly circumstances. We put our eyes on him, his mercies. And that we become a people marked by thankfulness that are a light to a dark world. If you are like me and you've been struggling with thankfulness, um, I challenge you and I challenge me, let's just go to God and begin to thank him for all the small things, especially who he is. Let's pray. God, your word says that you are love. You are gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. God, I confess that I so often can get so bent out of shape because I am 20 minutes past lunch and I haven't eaten yet. God, help us to fix our eyes and thoughts on you. Help us to see how good you are and to be thankful and that draw us to want to see you more. God, I pray that you would expose to us just how good you are, that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation, that we would be reminded of how wretched we were, how wretched we often are, and yet how 
your reckless love pursues us. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that even as I struggle with this thank, thankless heart, that I know that your love for me has not changed. That you are not looking at me like you idiot. You're looking at me with arms open, wanting to shower upon me how good you are. And so, God, I pray that today would be a day that we enter your courts with thanksgiving and praise for who you are, for what you've done. God, if there's anyone in here who does not know how good you are, they do not know what you have done for them in their lives, I pray that today would be a day that they would know it. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.